Welcome to Love Essie, the podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 70. This week, I'm talking about historical romances, part one. Um, And you might be going, part one? I'm going to be doing more than one part because this episode, I'm going to talk about um, Dukes. Viscounts, Viscounts, however the hell you say that. Marquis, Marques, Marqueses, yo no sé, however you say that. Um, and all the rest of them peeps, right? All the rest of them British nobility, um, specifically. Um, I'm not going to talk about a ton of books. So I'm going to talk about one book and then I sort of really want to give y'all my thoughts on that this particular corner of historical romance so the book that i want to talk about today or i'm going to talk about is the duke who didn't by courtney milan um if you've seen the cover of this book it is absolutely gorgeous it is stunning i want to be uh the woman in in the cover i i wish to somehow travel in time and space and sort of just be the one being held by the male cover model he is absolutely ridiculously stunning i was like i think i gasped the first time i saw the cover um because i was just like the beauty the handsomeness just the the sheer sheer just utter stunningness gorgeousness out of this world um you're like okay esther um and so yes so i want to talk about that book i'm pretty sure unless my brain fails me that it came out last year um and it's part i believe it's the first book in this specific series um which would be the wedgeford Wedgford? Yes, Wedgford series. Um, so I'm going to read you... I'm actually going to read you guys the blurbs. Read you guys the blurb. Not blurbs. One blurb. Singular blurb. So that you have like an idea of what the book is about. In case you're like, I actually have no clue, young lady. Um, and then I'm going to sort of go into um, the book and my thoughts. Um, and all that fun, fun jazz. Ooh, what in the world? Um, oh, and the series is called Wedgeford Trials. So this is book one in Wedgeford Trials, okay? So Miss Chloe Fong has plans for her life, lists for her days, and absolutely no time for nonsense. Three years ago, she told her childhood sweetheart that he could talk to her once he planned to be serious. He disappeared that very night. Except now he's back. Jeremy Wentworth, the Duke of Lansing, has returned to the tiny village he once visited with the hope of wooing Chloe. In his defense, it took him years of attempting to be serious to realize that the endeavor was incompatible with his personality. All he has to do is convince Chloe to make room for a mischievous trickster in her life, then disclose that in all the years they've known each other, he's Fail to mention his real name, his title, and the minor fact that he owns her entire village. 
only one thing can go wrong. Everything. So this is the blurb for The Duke Who Didn't. I don't even think I read the blurb. I think I just saw the cover, gasped, was like, it's a Courtney Milan title, and I've read other books by her, therefore it's probably bound to be great, and then pre-ordered the book via Apple Books. Then completely forgot that that had happened. And I don't have notifications set up. So when there was the romancing, uh, the runoff auction proceeded to buy it because I was like, oh, I don't have it. And now I would get, you know, a, a, a physical copy. And then I believe it was after um, that copy arrived that I was in Apple Books and was like, oh, would you look at that? <laughs> there, there, there it is. So, so I definitely own this book twice and, uh, that wasn't on purpose because sometimes I do have the ebook version and then I get the print version. Um, I tend to do that for Nalini Singh, uh, J.R. Ward, but this wasn't that, but I'm okay. Like, I don't care, uh, because the print copy was also signed. That was one of the cool things for Romancing the Runoff. So, and technically you can't like get a signed ebook. So anyway... Um, this book, which I got last year, but only just now read because <laughs> what is time is a historical, it starts, it's set in 1891, which technically speaking is the Victorian era in the United Kingdom. Um, now if you've seen the cover, then you know that our two main characters are not white people. They are not white. Our two main characters in a historical set in the UK in the Victorian era are not Caucasians. They're not white. You may be like, slightly like, what? Um, I mean, I feel like me saying Chloe Fong should have given it away. But in case you, you didn't hear that, it's fine. Um, Chloe... Fong is a full Chinese character. Both her parents, from what we know, um, are Chinese. Jeremy is half. His father was a former Duke, which is why he is now a Duke. And his mother was Chinese. Um, so, one of the things that I thought was really interesting to see as someone who has read quite a bit of historical this is not like my first historical. This is not even my first Courtney Milan historical. Um, one of the things that I thought was done really, really well was the fact that even though this is set in a time period and he is a Duke, there isn't this like overwhelming emphasis on the peerage, the, 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 the system of nobility. We are not spending all this time in the book focused on other dukes and other people of that of that class system of that of that you know society I guess um a lot of this has to do with the fact that Jeremy isn't really a part of that either but I really like that it wasn't we because we don't spend any time with those people 
with that portion of, I guess, the society, we don't have to get bogged down in all of the the social world um, that you often see repeated ad nauseum in other historicals. Um, I sometimes, not always, but I sometimes have kind of been like, did this ball scene that I'm reading already have, like, I feel like I know what happened, but I haven't read this book. And then it's because, like, something similar happened in someone else's book right in the same time period. You know what I mean? So we don't get that. This feels very, very fresh. Now, a big part of that has to do with the fact that this is a book, like I said, set in quote unquote Victorian era. And our character, our main characters aren't white. I mean, most of the characters we meet aren't white. Um, the town of Wedgford is a town that has, you know, people of different ethnic backgrounds, multiracial backgrounds. And when you read historical set in the United Kingdom, specifically, you know, main focus England, but also including Scotland and Ireland. One thing that has always, you know, sort of stood out and that when I was younger, I never questioned was the fact that everyone's white. One once in a blue moon, once in a blue moon, someone may have a servant, possibly from India, possibly from Africa or the West Indies. There may be mention of a gypsy, a gypsy family. But aside from those sort of very, very small moments or possible mentions, everyone else is white everyone else is white just straight up white that's it nothing else and one of the things that now that i'm older that i'm like wait a minute it's like but is that human nature right if we're to believe that these books are set in a time where you know the sun did not set on the british empire kind of nonsense that obviously means that people from different parts of said empire are going to end up in the uk and sure there's definitely going to be people who absolutely would never have any kind of relations with anyone who wasn't of their same racial background but there are definitely going to be people who are going to be like you know oops i fell onto this woman of color or this man of color and there's going to be children of mixed race. Um, and so it's interesting how historical romance in set in this, you know, sort of empire um, and region can get away with never, you know, never talking about race, never just, just, you know, popular culture leads us to believe that England was literally white all that time and that's kind of like once you really stop and think about it it's like is that really possible is that really is it is it truly can you really do that is that is that real is, is, uh, no the answer is no guys um so what we get to see in the duke who did it right is we're being shown um, for people who've already read historicals before, you're being shown a world that, you know, in many ways you've heard of before. You know, you've heard of dukes, you know what is expected of a duke, what kind of things a duke can do or can't do. 
but it's coming from such a very different viewpoint because Jeremy isn't your, I guess, typical Duke. Um, he is half Chinese. He is someone who no one expected to be a Duke because we find out, I guess this is, I'm like, this is a spoiler. I mean, kind of. Okay, I'm not going to say what I was going to say because I feel like it, well, but you know he's a Duke because I just, no, I don't think this is a spoiler. If you disagree, I apologize in advance. Um, The reason Jeremy is a Duke is because his father was, I believe, either the third son of the fourth son or the fourth son of the third son. Anyway, someone so far removed from inheriting, then, you know, it was like, okay, cool, go marry whoever you want because they don't matter because you're not going to inherit anything and then as is you know life um people died lots of people died um some because of disease some because of other things and oh oops uh now jeremy's father inherits this title because that's how this all you know always passes down to the next you know a male heir only we don't heirs that aren't male what girl Mm, no and all of a sudden this man who went and made his life choices based on assuming he would never have anything to do with that kind of life has to, you know, do be a part of that life. And then that gets passed on to his son. So if you've read other historicals, then you're like, oh, yes, some of these things you, you've seen play out before over and over again. Right. Every time we meet new dukes, it's because like the old dude died. <laughs> Because in in the case of specifically of this of the historical romance uh, set in within sort of the British nobility, you do not inherit a title until the person who had it previous to you passes away. There is no I reach a retirement age and then I pass on, you know, X, Y, and Z. That that's no, that does not happen. Um, the person has died now if you are close to your father or whoever is the current duke then you are trained and you know all these things but of course this is romance novels and we need drama and whatnot and conflict and so not always but often it's the case that men who didn't expect to become dukes are inheriting dukedoms or did not get along with their father because their fathers tend to be you know, demons on earth and then they're inheriting so but anyway that's different from this book so this book I think just I think I really liked that we were I guess in a place or setting that I recognized in some respect but it was different it felt very like but it didn't feel different in a way where I'm like oh this couldn't possibly have happened again this is also Roman so like this is not memoir. This is not real, you know, f- you know, non-fiction. This is fiction for a reason. But it felt, you know, Jeremy goes to this town every year, right? And what do what do the nobility do every year? Of course, they leave the city and go off to do things. And of course, like there, I think Courtney Milan did a really good job of showing uh, showing the reader right scenarios that in some ways seem very similar or that you've seen before but completely turned on their heads right 
You know, the idea of a village festival, seen it, but this felt different. There's, you know, a tro- like a whole game that happens during this festival. The, you know, um, I also, oh, big thing. There is a huge emphasis on food in this book. Um, in a way that I feel like we don't often see in historical, I mean, I say that to say that in this book, there's conversations about food, conversations about, um, what makes a food, what makes British food British, um, that I thought were really, really interesting and different from anything else I've read where food is sort of maybe a focus I think um one of the reasons why food is such a focus obviously in this book is Chloe and her father um are working on you know this sauce empire and therefore to understand Chloe to understand her relationship with her father you have to uh, have quite a bit of knowledge and information um, about food in relation to what they're trying to achieve. And it's really interesting to see, to get this idea, this visual of like, oh, right, you know, um, as new things are being introduced. I think sometimes for us um, now, it's very easy, especially if you live in a really large sort of metropolitan, cosmopolitan city, it can be easy to forget that there was a time and a place, and you could even say that about today, where people have not had certain flavors, certain tastes, certain dishes, certain sauces, right? Um, Think of the first time that you had cuisine from another country, from another region, from, you know, from places that you had both been to and never been to, right? Like, what was it like when you were first experiencing flavors from the cuisines of China or Korea, Thailand, um, Colombia, Argentina, Cuba, uh, Ethiopia, Nigeria? Like, what were those moments of like experiencing that new um taste I think that we get to see some of that in this book which again I think is really really interesting because in other historicals eh, I mean food is more of a way food is present because it's not like we're reading other historicals and nobody is you know there's still food because there's things like afternoon teas and maybe mention the food at balls or you know picnics or house parties but it is very different because the people involved in those books aren't involved usually in any level of preparation of any of these things so they're only the end consumer but they know they're not part of the process for it if that makes sense um So seeing, right, what Chloe is doing with her father and how she's, you know, um, figuring out her business is really interesting because in many ways what she's doing, there's like the modern day equivalent now, right? Like what would you do if you were trying to, 
sell a bunch of sauce. Like, you would figure out how to package it. You would need to name it, which can be really hard to name things. I know every week I'm like, what do I name this episode? Sometimes it's easy because I'm just going to name it after a book title. Other times it's hard because I don't necessarily have one specific book or I don't feel like that encompasses the whole episode. So just naming something, I was like, oh God, the anxiety of it all, right? And depending on how like important it is, you're really anxious. Like, what if, what if we can't like, like use it or, or we pick a name and it, something goes wrong or we, you know, all of that. So seeing, seeing that, but in that, you know, sort of time period of, or that context of that time period, um, was really, really sort of cool to read. And I think also what I thought was really, um, well done is that, right, Chloe is not a member of the nobility at all. And in historicals, not always, but often in historicals, if you have a main character who isn't a member of the nobility, they are not always, but there can be a tendency for them to be a servant of some kind, right? And almost, generally speaking, it's the woman. There are times where it's the man, and then in that case, it's a man. But he's not, like, a poor, like... I was going to be like, he's not a poor stable boy. He might have started out that way, but now he, you know, has managed to make money doing X, Y, and Z. Who knows? But, like, at this point, you know, has money and access to power, if not actual power, and all of that entails. So now if you've read other Courtney Milan historicals and you know how good of a writer she is. And so basically just go read and enjoy and you're probably going to get hungry and want, you know, food, in which case definitely um, make food. And I believe, um, let me double check. I feel like I remember seeing something about her maybe having recipes on her website. Or maybe not recipes. Maybe it was just a food glossary. In which case, it could have been just a food glossary. Um, which is also, like, helpful if you're not, like, totally sure of what certain things mean. Then it can be, like, really helpful to sort of see, like, that information. Because you might be like, wait, I'm not actually sure what what is going on here. Um... But yes, the Duke who didn't, yeah, it came out last year, September. Really, 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 really delightful. Oh, she does have a glossary with definitions and pronunciations because there are um, definitely words um, in, I don't know if it's Hakka or Hakka. It's spelled H-A-K-K-A is one of the languages that's mentioned. Cantonese is also mentioned. Um... That it was a food gloss. Oh, the food glossary is complete with recipes. Oh, guys. So there's uh, a few recipes um, based on the food that's mentioned in the book. I'm not going to tell you what the recipes are. Well, I mean, there's black sesame cake, clay pot rice, pork cutlet with Wedgeford brown, soup with noodles. Um, and that's just some, and then, yeah, you should definitely check it out because, um, yum, yums, yummy, yum, yums.
absolute yums. Um, so I really did enjoy um, the Wedgford Trials. I'm really excited. I'm hoping that we get more books soon-ish. Um, she does mention, I mean, this is book one. So I'm hoping we see more um, because I quite enjoyed the book and it was a delightful read and it just felt really, really fresh. Okay, I'm going to pause here and then when I come back, I'm going to sort of delve in a bit more into like historicals set in specific time periods in the UK. All right, I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. And now I want to talk about, you know, historical romances. Um, and specifically, like I said, um, the UK sort of um, ones. Because technically speaking, right, historical romances are really just romances set in what we would consider the past. And I believe the cutoff... I feel like I remember seeing it might have been Harlequin where the cutoff was maybe the 50s or maybe even up to the 70s, which some of you may be like historical, but like technically speaking from the 70s to now, it's like 50 years. Um, So I think it's something like that. So technically speaking, like you could classify a story that was written that is set in the late 1950s as a historical at this point could you have done that in the 90s i don't think so because you were only about 40 years out but at this point um or 60 ish 60 yeah 60 ish years out so you can start to do that now that with that being said oftentimes when i think of historical and especially um when i first started reading romance i was thinking of like you know women in massive ball gowns um in in london um and part of that has to do with traditional publishing right is where i got all of my historical romance from i when i first started reading romance had no idea about independent publishing indie publishers um and also probably wasn't even like wasn't aware of different publishers or any of that i was just basically going to the library picking up books often based on both cover and back blurb and running from there uh interestingly enough the very first romance i ever read was a historical but that was a historical set in the u.s so the reason why i was like this is going to be not this cannot be my only historical episode is uh we also have there's you know historicals that are set in you know england you know scotland ireland sort of or all I mean, potentially the characters can be present or travel to all three um during certain time periods right um the regency is supposed to be from 1811 to 1820 the victorian era is 1837 to 1901 the georgian era is 1714 to 1830 uh, the Edwardian era is 1901 to 1910. So, but those are specifically speaking about England because specifically in the case of Victorian, Georgian, and Edwardian, 
those are eras directly related to who was king or queen during that time period. Like, that's why it's, you know, Georgian area for King George. I don't know which one. Victorian era for Queen Victoria and Edwardian era for, I believe, King Edward or whatever. So, you, it's, it would be weird. Not it would be weird, but it doesn't necessarily make sense to talk about a book being part of the Victorian era if you aren't in Victorian England. You may still be writing books set in the 1830s, late 1830s uh, through 1901. But if you're not set in the UK, then it wouldn't really make. And I guess it also depends as, a, you know, depends on the author. Maybe they want to invoke the Victorian. Um, they want to use the term because they know that readers will recognize it and be comfortable with that. Um, but back to what I was saying, the very first uh, romance I ever read it was set in the United States before the United States, I believe it declared, had won its um, independence or whatever. And the main characters were, I believe, the guy was either full Native American or at least half. And he kidnaps um, a Southern Belle who is engaged to be married to a British um, general or something. Um, So this is very much before. It's like, oh, fuck the Brits. Um, And because he hates that guy and is like, I'm going to steal his fiance to, you know, because of the atrocities he's committed, except she also doesn't like want to be engaged. But, you know, women, property, don't really get choices kind of thing. So... That's a very, and I'm guessing the 17th, whatever. So that's a totally like, like, what do you call that? The Georgian era? Maybe, maybe not. Cause we'll, again, you're in the US. So that's a, I feel like those historicals have different names and I will want to talk about them, but differently from these, the, the British nobility. Um, because for example, uh, when we're looking at, you know, these, romance novels that are set predominantly in the UK during these time periods, right? Um, and focusing on Brit- the British nobility. You've got your... No one really, or I haven't really paid attention or noticed or read books where you're having um, whoever's king or queen be a main character. I think part of that is because they were real, and so to then write a completely non-real story, that probably gets real weird. Like, why would you want to do that, right? As an author, you probably are want to write in this world, but you don't want to write about, like, necessarily real people. You'll be inspired by real people, but you don't necessarily, because you're not writing, again, um, a non-fiction sort of retelling of what happened. So instead you'll focus on, or they'll focus on um, the different, nobility like members of the different ranks of nobility so after you've got king queen and prince and princess right those are your your, you know top of the top they're immediately followed by dukes who their wives are called duchesses then we've got mar i don't know if it's marquess or marquise it's m-a-r-q-u-e-s-s and sure i could have asked google to pronounce it for me i didn't so whatever i always say marquess um and their part their wife would be 
It's Marchionis, Marchionis. Again, don't no idea. I've read these words for years. Have I ever heard them pronounced? No, because do I do audiobooks? Also, no. <laughs> After that, we've got an earl, and his wife is called a countess. Why it's not like Earl Erlina? Mm, probably because Erlina sounds weird. Or Erlasa, Erlana. I'm guessing none of that made sense, so they went with countess. Um, then you've got so uh, I had always pronounced this word as viscount until I think I watched first episode of Bridgerton and they were like viscount and I was like what? I was like V I S C O U N T is viscount like no sound no s. Why is there an s then? Um, once again, the English language just being ridiculous because. V- viscount what anyway i still in my head more often than that say viscount i'm like i don't care it's viscount to me viscount um and you're like no i say it's viscount i'm like whatever and uh the wife would be vis viscountess which does sound better than viscountess so fine i get it but i don't like it and last but not least we have baron and baroness now it's interesting because when i would recall hearing ooh, i believe it's in sound of music the blonde right she's the baroness and you hear that and you think like whoa and it's like girl you're the last one on that on that like on that rank like like everyone outranks you you only outrank non-nobility people but everyone else outranks you, but it sounds so like top tier baroness, baroness. I don't want to say it baroness. I want to be like baroness. Anyway, so authors, right, when they're writing within this world, are going to focus on characters that are going to have these kinds of titles, right? And so in Courtney Milan's book, right, that I just talked about, The Duke Who Did It. Jeremy Wentworth is a duke. So literally, you know, he is just steps below the king, the queen, prince and princesses kind of thing, right? We're talking dukes are sort of the, you know, are such, have such power in this system, in this country at this time period. Um, Dukes tend to have multiple titles because people with power accumulate more power right um and so dukes are something that you see a lot of now there was i feel like this was an instagram conversation probably a few months ago where a lot of a few people were mentioning the fact that a lot of historical romances currently will have duke in the title like straight up and if you start to go back like 10 15 years you don't really see that. You see authors who have like literally, you know, 40, 50 books, not a Duke in sight in the title. Doesn't mean that they aren't writing about Dukes, but it's not in the title. And then you move to, you know, current day and you've got like, um, I'm looking right now just at like some of the books that I have, some of the historicals I have. I only actually have one that I can see that has Duke in the title. A Good Duke is Hard to Find by Christina Britton, Brighton, Jonas. Um, whereas like I think the other ones, Lisa Claypis is Dreaming of You, No Duke, The Governess Game by Tessa Dare, No Duke in the Title. I don't remember if he's a Duke. Now I'm like, is he a Duke in the book? 
Because I know that he needed a governess, but is he? He is a duke. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Um, then I'm wondering, well, Drew, many of you know that's Derek. I mean, Derek is not, is not a duke. Um, not, not, not a duke. Uh, and I think that's all, because the other historicals I have are Beverly Jenkins, which again, like I said, I'm going to be talking about the Americas, um, separately. Um, oh, and then I have Scarlett Peckham's The Raycast, um, which I think is really interesting, you know. I like that title just because it's like we always talk about rakes and now it's like the rakes. I'm like, oh, yes. Uh, and then the only other historical that I have. Oh, I have Lord of Vice by Erica Ridley. And then I have The Care and Feeding of Wash- Waspis. Wow. Look at me not being able to say the word. Waspish wet. <sighs> Olivia, I'm sorry. Um, it's The Care and Feeding of Waspish Widows. There we go only took me way too long whatever sometimes the tongue the tongue cannot handle the twists and the turns of the the english language so i think one of the things that i've noticed for myself is like i said i started reading romance quite a young age i've read a lot now i've read historical um i've definitely met people who are like i've never really read historical which i always thought was really interesting but i'm realizing that one of the reasons i've read historical was like i was pretty much uh what i would consider a voracious reader like i would go to the library and be like i took out six books read all six in a week come back do it again so if all i'm reading is romance and i'm reading as much and as quickly as i am i'm going to end up just picking up whatever's there that i'm like sure why not and do public libraries have lots of historical romances on their shelves on their spinners they sure do they sure do so i definitely was reading you know um historicals and wasn't ever thinking about them critically i think i remember I want to say it was only a few years ago, maybe, um, probably two to three years ago where I was here seeing conversations on Twitter and on Instagram was like, oh, like one of the reasons I don't like historical is because, you know, these people, you know, these characters have all this money and there's no conversations about where that money is coming from and that money is obviously coming from the exploitation of people in the global south. And I remember being like, oh, Oh, I had not thought about that. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Because rarely would I come across a book where the characters were in any way, shape, or form, like, having anything to do with where their money came from, right? Um, Part of it being that if you're a member of the nobility, you don't work. I mean, you work, but you don't like actually work like that in commerce and trade and whatever, because that's like, oh, gross. That's like what poor people do. And we're not poor. And that's what like people of other classes do. And we're like, you know, just three steps removed from the literal king. So gross. We don't actually. Ooh, no industry. Ooh. And and so when you are crap, when you're reading um, in this kind of a world where these characters are just being rich without ever critically looking at how and why they're rich right and the authors aren't 
ever touching it on that subject. It's just, you know, and it's not that we're talking about like authors aren't just basically being like everybody rich ever no you're definitely having romances right where uh men there are young women who are heiresses and they're being preyed on by fortune hunters or there are characters who are having to choose between love the woman that they love and marrying someone with money because the dukedom the the whatever the the dukedom is usually the easiest because I uh, do you say the Marquess them like no you know but the holdings of the family have been depleted because so and so's father or uncle or everyone before them was terrible with money but they have money but we don't talk about how that money got there and so now right in 2021 I'm definitely still reading historical because I think it's like one of those things where for me it's like oh like if the story is cool I want it I still want to do it but I am sometimes thinking more about like oh yeah like they're just talking about like you know spending all this money for this that and the other and like where is that really coming from oh okay um that's probably coming from you know the literal you know exploitation the literal murder the literal theft of you know the rest of the world <laughs> oh which yeah in your romance kim is gonna be like oh crap oh why um but i think it's an interesting for me what also comes up through this is this question um that i had i don't remember when i first saw it but has always sort of stuck with me why does why is it that it is so accepted that books set in the United Kingdom, which boasted, boasts at this time about being, you know, an empire where the sun never sets because of its massive global reach. Why is it so then accepted and almost, you know, demanded that it is also just a Caucasian landscape and how does that make sense um, and it always makes me think of the the way that I sort of sometimes explain to people when they're confused that I'm both black and Latina and it's kind of like well how is that possible like how are you both black and of this like ethnic group and I'm like I mean like real real basic slavery and they're kind of like Ooh. And I'm like, so when the Spaniards like went to Latin America, they didn't like turn to their slaves and go, you know what? You know what? It's cool. We're going to go and we're going to do all the work and we're going to no, no, no. When you have slaves, when you have indentured servants and you go off to new lands, what do you do? You bring them with you because who's going to actually do the work? <laughs> they are. That's why you have them. <laughs> um, you wouldn't go to the process of acquiring them for them not to do the labor, correct? And so to think, right, that London, um, that really many, many parts of at least the major capitals of the United, you know, the different countries in the United Kingdom were just completely devoid of people of color, of mixed race people. Once you start to think about it critically, it's like, wait, no impossible how how could that be right and yet when you look at historical romance when you read historical romance with the exception of some authors 
that's what you're being told is happening. That's what is being presented. This concept, this idea that the only people around are Lily White all the time, right? And you might say, well, Esther, like, how could you have a story about a duke who isn't fully white? I mean, Courtney Mullah just gave us one, right? If we are willing to believe the idea that a random guy might end up inheriting a dukedom because a bunch of other heirs died due to duels, disease, and horse carriage accidents, right? Well, then, that ha- if that's something that happens, right, where you may be 17th down the line and the other 16 dudes in front of you pass the fuck away, isn't it also possible that, like, maybe the first, like, 10 dudes were like, I could be Duke because I'm, you know, not that far away from it. So let me live the kind of life that is expected of someone in line for the dukedom. But the other seven, like number 17 or the the parent of numbers, what do I need to worry about? I'm never going to ever going to be that, right? It would be like if whoever is 17th, 18, 19th on the, the line for the throne is thinking, oh, I can't be with this person or I can't marry that person or whatever. Because one day, you know, Elizabeth and Charles and William, and William's kids, and Harry, and Harry's kids, and all them people going to die. Like, what? You're not thinking that. And again, also, I'm not even saying like, oh, yes, clearly people of different racial backgrounds were falling in love. I mean, there's that, obviously, but there's also, you know, like, like, what do people do today, right, where they end up like accidentally pregnant? They, like, sleep with people that they might not necessarily have decided that they were going to have a life with and or whatever. But shit happens. And you couldn't get to plan B in time and all of a sudden get a kid on the way. Well, uh, in these time periods, there is no plan B, right? There is no birth control. Sure that there are ways and this, that, and the other. But, like, human nature should tell us that people of all kinds of backgrounds living in the same city... We're gonna end up fucking meaning you're gonna have people of different backgrounds for example historical novel historical romances where our main character who's the woman is a maid or a governess why did she they very be well not be white or could be not white right because why would you know sorry I think it's just really interesting that it was just sort of deemed like everyone in these books is white, including all of the staff, every single staff member, because there's nothing, nothing up here, but whites, a few Irish with some red hair, just to, just to keep it interesting, a few Scots with some kilts, and that's it, girl, that's it, no one else, and then randomly, you know, you'll have a book where there's, um, a close friend or a valet or something, maybe from India, maybe if it's a character that, you know, before they came back to when we meet them, they were off traveling in India or, you know, there's mentions of gypsies, but 
this concept or the, the thinking of like, but there are people who are, you know, fully black from Africa. Well, um, no, 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 no. And so reading The Duke Who Didn't and also thinking about some of the other historical author, romance authors that I've read, like I've read, I think I could be wrong, but I actually think I've fully completed no, I was going to say I fully completed Lisa Kleypas's backlist and then I realized, no, there's there's one little like small series that I haven't read. Like some girl has amnesia and homeboy finds her in the river. That one I haven't read. But a lot of her other stuff, I've like I've read all the Ravenels that are out, um, the Wallflowers, whatever. I've read quite an extent. I even, even read, um, she has two books sent in the US. Ooh, boy. Um... If you have issues with consent being questionable, do not, don't even, just, I wonder if those are her very first books. I think it's also really interesting. Those are the only two really set in the United States. Everything else she writes after that, it seems like. like I couldn't find any other books that were set in the U.S. We do see U.S. characters, right? Daisy's um, boy. Well, Daisy technically is American, and so is her sister and she ends up with an American but like we see like that the, but it's not set <laughs> Daisy's book is not set <laughs> and like you know that science um as set in, in the England in the London um yeah those two seem to be the only that she has set and I was like oh mm, oh, oh okay these did not age well aged poorly uh clear examples of how things were different in the past than also distant past also but i've also read um stephanie lauren's sister family um and there have been moments where as i've been reading i'm like you haven't explicitly stated that this person is not white and i'm I almost feel like I could, based on some of the way that you've described their their how they look, that maybe they're not. But I don't know. Uh, but it's just like, you know, we're talking about authors that have these massive long series, right? And when I say massive long, like the sisters, I think, are 15 or 16 books, which, and that's not including like the new generation, because I know that she also did that, the younger generation. I haven't even touched those. So I definitely, as someone who reads um, historical, have really been thinking of like this conversation of like, yeah, like why is it that we don't see people who aren't white um, when we're talking, when we're seeing or being shown stories? And I do... I do think that part of it is um, traditional publisher, right? Traditional publishing, right? The Berkeleys, the Simon and Schuster's, the whatever Avon are just kind of like no, um, Bridgerton, right? The books, not the Netflix. That's what the people want, right? Just this long, uh, you know, a f- whole, do give us a whole family, everybody away, everybody marry everybody away. Oh, and <laughs> I just realized if you're listening and you've only watched Bridgerton and had not read the books and didn't know um 
none of the diversity that you see on screen is at all present in the books. <laughs> the books are about white people doing white people things. Everybody white in the books. But, you know, due to the time period uh, that this show is coming out in, they decided to do what Twilight did for the movie and uh, add diversity after the fact. But then the question comes, why wouldn't, for example, the author of that is Julia Quinn. Why didn't Julia Quinn write um, diversity into her books? Now, granted, Bridgerton is older. I believe it's about 20 years old, if I'm right. I feel like it was a 2000-something, whatever, um, book, if not late 90s, um, but yes, it's like, what, what is it that we've got so many, so many books where it's like consistently like, but everyone's white, right? If I have to think off the top of my head, who has historical with people of color, I can think of right now three authors, Courtney Milan, Vanessa Briley, Erica Ridley. I'm sure that there's more because I know that I'm blinking on some, but those are the, the top three um that I can like fresh off the top of my head and here's the thing three years ago three years ago not five not ten three whole years ago before I really started to like be in the Romanslandia and follow the follow the authors on the twitter and do the instagram I had not heard of Vanessa Riley or Erica Ridley I'd only heard of Courtney Milan right and that's because her her novella, uh, the I believe it's the Governess Affair, which I believe is always free. <laughs> I believe it was Brie from Kate Rocha who said that is the most expensive free book, and it is because that first book is so, so good that you want to read every other book after. Like you're just kind of like, so Courtney Milan is like, I give you this book, I give it to you for free, and then I hook you. And here's the thing, that's like a lot of authors do that. A lot of but. I'm, I, I will say it, I will say it out loud, a lot of authors try that and fail, right? That first book does not talk you, and so it was free, and you're like, I am so glad that this was free, because mm, I did not like, and I am so glad money was not wasted. Time is gone, but at least money is still here. Uh, no, that's not what happens with Gourney Milan. No, you read that book, and you're just like, holy shit, <laughs> okay where is the next one <laughs> and the one after that and the one after that and uh, yeah you just end up being like hot damn girl hot damn thank you like she's definitely an example of an author that is like let me introduce myself and then capture your heart and, and imagination and hold on tight and suck all the money from you for my books and you'll gladly give it because again the writing the writing top tier top tier so i think that when i definitely know for myself at least going forward i am going to be thinking of okay why am i not seeing a little bit more diversity why are authors not necessarily taking um that little leap to be like we're gonna have more characters that aren't all just white uh right because oh one other thought that i had also 
And again, I wonder if it's because part of it is traditional publishing and also because readers already know and understand this quote unquote world. So you don't have to do as much world building work. But when we talk about these time periods, right, and these historicals, uh, wait, they're all being set in the UK. And I say that in the sense of like, we will have characters who had spent time in Italy, who had spent time in France, who had spent time in Spain prior to us meeting them in the book. But we're not seeing, and we're not, or at least I haven't seen, what it would look like if the book was set in France. What are the nobility ranks of the French monarchy? Clearly, obviously, obviously, anything after the French Revolution, yeah. What are you going to do? Revolution, everybody. Slice off with their heads kind of thing. But what about previous to that, right? What about before that? What about Spain? What about um, Italy, right? There, it's very much very British, UK-centered, right? Sometimes, like, you know, Tessa Scott has, Tessa Scott, shite! Tessa Dare has, uh, one of the Scots has a knot, which is, you know, set in Scotland. And so I feel like authors will be like, oh, we're not going to be in London. We're not going to be in London. We're going to go up to, um... Scotland to the Highlands. Um, we're going to go up that way, or we might go to Ireland briefly. Um, because I'm also trying to think if I have read any historicals that are only set in Ireland the way that they might only be set in Scotland. And I also don't think that I recall for myself reading. Again, you're going to be like, actually, Esther, here are 17 different authors with a total, a combined total of 3,000 books. And I'm going to be like, okay, I did not know. Time to add them to my ever-expanding TBR. Um, but for myself personally, I can't think of any authors that have their books set in Ireland, right? Um, I think my most recent book where we have, like, one of the characters is actually Irish. It's a Stephanie Lawrence, um, what's-his-face's cousin? Flick's cousin, I think it's Dylan. The woman he ends up with, she's Irish. And her and her brother leave Ireland and are in his town, wherever the hell it is, and, um the UK for some horse racing nonsense, whatever, whatever. But is the book set in Ireland? And are we seeing, no, right? This is an Irish character coming into the UK setting again, or not the UK, the English setting again. And then the story is sort of taking place in England. Um, whereas I feel like, and I think what we, why we see more stuff potentially set in Scotland is because then we've got like, you know, kilts and, you know, the highlands and highlanders and all of that. And of course, if, and I'm, I, if you are also been paying attention, I also haven't really talked about all the historical that is set pre like the 1700s, right? Once we start going into what I, I for my head, I just call all that medieval. You might be like, actually, there are different terms. And I'm like, okay, yeah, cute. But I'm going to call it medieval, right? But there's also like a huge market of historicals set in you know sort of the conquering times and 
where you've got the wars happening between the different it can be between different Scottish clans it can be between Scotland Scotland and England and all that but those are you know even earlier um and if they're Scottish you're not it the, the what is interesting about those right you can either just be looking sort of at clans Scottish clans and their um lairds is it lairds or liards I'm always I've always said it as a laird whatever if you're like what word is this l-a-i-r-d I always say laird uh but what's also in depending on when it is set right you may also have lairds who do have English titles because there was you know someone slept with someone had a kid with someone and then that person is inheriting um again if they're a man because we don't women don't get things because women are property um during all of this but i think that um for me at least i'm definitely looking at romance more critically and i couldn't completely understand why people who only read contemporary or paranormal or fantasy or you know sci-fi opera whatever where it's like oh it's so hard to get into a world where you will have those kinds of questions of like y'all are rich rich and where'd that money come from or also the complete and utter lack of anyone other and just of the whites um it's something that i'm you know now think about when I'm reading. And I think Courtney's The Duke Who Didn't is such a stark it's I don't even want to say it's such a stark contrast. It's just so fascinating to see what she was able to do in this in this world. But how we got such a different story by not making the focus whiteness or white and by not making whiteness the default either. Like I that I think really for me was like, oh, okay. And so that I'm like, oh, I, I hope that other authors decide to look into like, what kind of stories can you tell if you are no longer making, if you, if you are no longer making, wow, if you are not making up words like I am, and if you stop or make the conscious choice to not center whiteness and to not make whiteness the default or worse the only option right what can stories look like if we are seeing the actual reality of what society did look like during the specific time period that you've chosen um and again i'm i'm I understand that there are authors who are choosing not to because then you have to do the, and this, because I was going to say, then you have to do the world building. But then I also feel like I disagree. Like, if it's set in London and there are dukes in the set and the other, there are marquises, marquises, whatever the hell they're called, earls, the set and the other, you showing me that there are people of color within this world that has British nobility doesn't seem strange to me doesn't seem far-fetched because again the amount of power this one city had 
at this moment in time means that everyone who is trying to have to acquire power, to use power, to be adjacent to power, right, is traveling to the city, right? And I say that in the sense that, like, places of power like that have people coming from everywhere and from all levels of society, right? You've got the people who have absolutely nothing but the clothes on their back determined to succeed, and then you've got people who are, you know, comfortable. And then you've got people who are rich enough to have certain level of things, but maybe not quite on the level of decision-making power. And then you've got the people who are dictating how life is for everyone else due to, you know, a combo of wealth and power that has to bring in people from everywhere. Right. So then that means that we have to see. Is microcosm the right word? I don't know. I'm not going to use it. We have to see all of the different kind, like to read a book and be all like, oh, I totally couldn't relate or couldn't get into the story. So there were people from different racial backgrounds in a cosmopolitan city like London. Okay, what in the fuck is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Are you slow? Are you dumb? What is wrong with you? Look at, because also we can look at massive financial center cities today are they just like un un grupo one group no i mean i live in new york city to write well i was gonna be like to write in new york city devoid of people of color is crazy and then i think about girls and friends (laughs) so people still do it in the contemporary setting for sure for sure and it's garbage because it's not real Yes, Esther, it's fiction. Remember, not real. I know that. But by avoiding or not including, I mean, it does a disservice. And I think that we end up losing stories that could be everything if... We just allowed for the breadth of the experience with the reality instead of just this narrow, narrow, narrow definition or idea or concept of what the world in which these stories are set looks like, right? And so that, I mean, I really, I definitely think I need to like look for more indie historical romance and by all means if you read indie historical please please send rex because i i do like reading about you know people ball gowns you know and going to the the modiste right whether she's actually french or she's from like some small town but it you know adopted a french accent just to you know be seen as more posh um also why okay because now i'm also like why are there like 
like, wouldn't it be really cool if there was, like, a series about, like, different Modis who had met at, like, some, like, sewing school or whatever, design school in France, travel back to, you know, whatever, and how they each find love. I think it's also um, similar to how in contemporary, right, we've got, because I would say that Duke, right, your contemporary equivalent is billionaire, right, which 11 to 15 years ago would have been millionaire, but now we're, you know, everyone's a billionaire. Um, So I feel like Dukes and billionaires are on par. But I would also really like to see romances where the characters aren't members of the nobility and aren't marrying into the nobility because there are definitely authors who are like, you know, I've read a few Lisa Kleypas where the dude is, uh, you know, I mean, Reese Winterborn, who is a phenomenal hero, by the way, wants to, you know, marry someone because he has money and power and influence, but he's still just shy of, you know, a certain level of acceptance because he wasn't born a noble and he works and blah, 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 blah. Um, and so, and that's great, but I'm also curious about, you know, what kind of stories might be out there for the people who aren't, you know, the very, very top of society. And I guess, I'm guessing that some authors are like, well, like, I can't write about just the chambermaid and the footman. Like, what kind of life are they going to have? I don't know because you haven't read the story. Who's to say that the chambermaid and the footman can't have an amazing romance? Who's to say? We don't know because have you written it? Has anyone? Or are we still focused on, like... And I do get, for the time period, obviously, the more rich quote-unquote you are the better your life can be but i want more listen guys i'm always gonna be out here asking for more things i want i want i want more and you might very well be like esther this exists here and here and here and here because i also it's not like i've you know done this extensive research of reading all of the you know, the historical remixes that come out in the last 10 years. Oh, that might be an interesting project. Hmm. Maybe not 10 years. Maybe do five. Actually? Hmm. I'm having thoughts, guys. Because I, yeah, I think I, I, mm, I may have to put this down on paper and uh, do more reading. Okay. I've been talking for a lot. I realize this episode is hella long. You're probably like, wow, she was having all these cute short episodes and all of a sudden this behemoth showed up. I just had a lot to say. I had a lot of thoughts and I have more thoughts. But I feel like those thoughts are going to be more about like the other corners of historical. And I definitely want to talk about the other corners of historical. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Um, I'm going to do a very quick gratitude latitude uh, after the pause. Um, so, so yeah, hold on, be square. (laughs) I'm wild. All right, gratitude, attitude, which I think earlier I just called gratitude, latitude. Anyway, uh, real quick, because 
you know, it's, 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 a, be- it's a bit of a, a long one this time. Um, first thing, fresh, oh, wow, words, <laughs> failing me now. Fresh laundry smell. You're probably going, what? I love the smell of fresh laundry. I think most people do. So, but I don't know why, but this week it really struck me as just feeling so both comforting and like nice. I don't know. It just really struck me this week. You're probably like, what? I was like, I'm a weirdo who does laundry. Mm. Second thing um, that I'm grateful for this week. Um, I got fresh flowers again for the apartment. Um, and I'm really like, I don't think if you'd asked teenage Jesser about fresh flowers in her room, she would have been like, girl, what? Go away. Like, wouldn't really have understood. But something about seeing, you know, fresh flowers. Like last week I had carnations and baby's breath. This time I have carnations, uh, roses and some sort of green fellow that I could not tell you what it was. Because I, I think it's pretty, but I don't know the name. Um, just something about seeing it, right? Seeing it in the living room, seeing it in my room. It's just like a reminder to me of like, we are allowed to have nice things. And it's really nice to look at them. Um, so yeah, something about fresh flowers is just like, huh, I like it. And it's not even necessarily like, oh, the scent. Like I'm not... Right out here being like, oh my god, and then I was shoving my nose up in there and just mmm, yum, no, but something about seeing them, the color, I guess, um, is really, really, really nice. And then the last thing that I'm really grateful for this week. So if you weren't aware, um, I've moved and my new my roommate, she's my new roommate, but we've been roommates before, um, at a few years ago. She is a cat. And his name is Barney. And Barney is awesome. I think before I lived with Barney, I kind of sort of assumed cats were assholes. Like, they were cute, but they were assholes. That was, you know, my conception. Um, The only other cat that had ever given me a different idea was a friend cat sat years ago, a Siamese named George. And George, to me, was like a dog, but inside a cat's body. I'd never seen a cat that wanted to play I wanted to be around people so much. I thought that was, I was like, what is this? This is, this is how cats are. Because I think every other cat I'd met up until George was just kind of like, you're a human. <laughs> and you're trying to talk to me? <laughs> Bitch, die. Um, so when I met George, but I just thought George was an anomaly. And then I met Barney. And Barney's just like, I met chill. And I'm just gonna like, come over, sleep in your space. Um, maybe snore a little. <laughs> and uh then randomly ask you for pets then uh saunter off to a different part of the apartment to go sleep some more snore a little some more he's just so cute and it's just so nice to have him here so that's the third thing that i'm grateful for this week again thank you so much for listening i really appreciate it i get that this one's a long one a doozy a behemoth as i said earlier Eh. A mammoth. Ooh, that's a historical term. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, thank you guys so much. Um, come back next week for another episode. Maybe the rest of the historical chat. That would make sense, right? Right. That would make sense. 
okay thank you because here I was gonna be like oh no it'll be no that'll be next week um take care uh go out and get some sunshine um I do get that you may be in a part of the world where the sun is currently hiding but um if you can go out there and and get some um and take care of yourselves and each other right because being kind to each other sounds cliche but it's kind of nice and helpful all right bye guys